It seems to me that there is a strange belief that exists among people. This belief that the life of those of us who call ourselves Christians should always be good. Now, there's a ton of ways that we could try and define this word good, but it seems to me that when we come to this space of having this conversation of trying to debate this, many argue good the exact way anybody might argue good, whether they know God or they don't know God. The idea that good means happy, healthy, wealthy maybe, at the very least comfortable. And we find ourselves caught up in all of these things. I could go on and list other things that you have heard of or that you think of or that you maybe wonder about as we think about this idea of what it means for life to be good for us. I don't think I have to list things because some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of your heads are bobbing. Yep, yep, I've heard that. I've experienced that. You know it. You've heard it. Maybe you've even lived it on your own. We see this multitude of ways in which this plays itself out where depending on where people are in this journey of faith and uh, and it's different all the time and, and just a couple examples that came to mind for me as I thought about it is that some people in dealing with this idea that life should be good for Christ followers choose to have absolutely nothing to do with faith they say something like your life as a Christian doesn't seem to have any more good in it than mine does So why should I bother with your God or your faith or your church when there seems to be no clear benefit package wrapped up in it? What's the point? Others wrestle with this in a way of temporarily pursuing the things of God. They jump in and they get really excited about it because everything sounds really good about it. But after days or weeks or months or years, some of them abandoned ship deciding that it didn't match up with their expectations or their hopes of what it looked like. We've watched, as even recently, there have been uh, news articles about well-known and well-respected people of faith who have walked away from the faith claiming something like it doesn't make sense anymore. I actually wonder if their wrestling is... It didn't live up to all my expectations. Things weren't as good as I thought they were supposed to be if I continued to do this. Honestly, what is the most frustrating for me in all of this isn't people who who don't know Christ or who are trying to still figure out this journey. It's, it's actually church people who sometimes for me become the most frustrating in this odd idea that we're supposed to put off some kind of image that our life is always good, even though we all know life isn't always good. We have somehow developed this reputation for being happy. Or that we're supposed to be happy. So some of us continually feel the need to just fake it. To just pretend everything is great. We find all kinds of things that happen when we do this. Some, there are churches and there are individuals who deny things like the value of psychological counseling. I've talked to you about counseling, how incredible it is for my life and how significant I think it could be in your own life, in your own faith journey. But there are people who deny that there's any value in that, saying something like, why would we need counseling when we have Jesus? 
And they've totally missed the point of what's going on in this game of pretending that everything is good now that we are Christian. I watch as other people deny what is biblical permission and even expectation that we would grieve at the death or even the leaving of a loved one. That it should pain us in some way. But there are many who deny living in that pain, believing that doing so might somehow paint that they've given up on faith, that they don't have a faith, or that they lack faith. There's all kinds of odd camouflaging that we as church people have done out of this misaligned need to make Christian living look good all the time. first time I read Psalm 90, or the first time I read it in preparation for this, I read it and I thought, wow, that's depressing. I don't want to speak on that Psalm. I don't want to, I don't want to teach on that one. I don't want to pray. I don't even know what to say about that one. And as you know, we've been in the book of Psalms for several weeks and some have asked, well, if you don't like that one, then... You picked them. Why are you using that one? The truth is I didn't actually pick them. We used the specific songs that we're using out of a series that I'd seen some other church did. And we didn't use their sermons. We just used the particular psalm that they chose. And then each of us have prepped a sermon based on that particular psalm. And everybody else chose the ones that they wanted. And I ended up with the ones that were left. And this was one of them. And I wasn't at all excited about it. So I reread it over and over again over the last few weeks. Now, a quick side note on some of this. Something beautiful that has happened for me in this season where we've had other valley folks preaching, which I want us to continue to do and to use them. One of the beautiful things that have happened, has happened for me is it allows me time to let a text continue to stir in my mind. I'm able to go back to it over and over again and think about it. It, 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 it marinates in a way. And as you think about cooking a beautiful piece of meat and the idea of, of marinating that, seasoning it with some kind of rub is great. And that has value and that works. But it seems that more flavor comes if it can marinate for an hour. And even more comes if you were allowed to marinate it for hours. The scriptures do the same things in us. The longer that we go through them and wrestle with them, they have this opportunity to marinate. And as this passage has been marinating, life has also been happening. And as I've walked through life, I've had days that were good and beautiful and some days that were hard and ugly. Not too long ago, I walked through what felt like a really, really bad week. I was tired overwhelmed with the realities of life and all that was taking place. Our adoption process hit a snag that kicked us back a couple of weeks because of some appointments that we had to reschedule and several things that had to be redone. Some interactions with my family were difficult and, and a little bit painful. Our kids were driving me nuts. It oddly started right after I told you how much better they were doing with their behavior. I know now to never, ever, ever, ever say such a thing again because they suddenly became such terrors. Callie and I weren't getting along the way that we would hope. 
My job got hard, believe it or not, like your job. Some days my job is not my favorite thing in the world to do. And it ran into some difficulties and some snags. And on top of all of these circumstantial realities of what was taking place in life, I began some wrestling with my own identity, with my own hopes for my life and what that might look like, with questions of calling and what it is that God is doing with me and desires to do with me, and even wrestling with some of my passions and my hopes for what the road ahead might look like. And and I'm not sharing all of this because I want you to believe that I somehow worked it all out because I haven't yet. Or that I'm somehow looking for your sympathy because I'm not at all. I just want to stand here and say before you what I believe you and I all know is true. Is that sometimes life doesn't feel so good. Even for Christ followers. Sometimes things are just hard. The superscription in the passage in Psalm 90, the little kind of subheading that's up there, tells us that Moses wrote this psalm. And and that's possibly true. That's perhaps true. There's no reason to necessarily deny that it happened, but we never know for sure who wrote these passages, even if that's what's in there. It's possible that he did. It's possible it was attributed to him later. What we can say for sure about this one is what one commentator has said about the passage is that the spirit of Moses' concern is certainly present. If you go back in the Old Testament and you read some of the stories of the life of Moses, we find both beautiful and difficult stories of Moses and Moses' journey with God. There are these days of incredible leadership, days when everything is going exactly as he would hope they might. And then there are days he wanted to quit on everything. Days when he decided there was no point moving forward. There were days of faithfulness and days of complete abandonment for what God had called him to do and told him to do. He and the Israelites experienced... Incredible times of seeing the beauty and the power of what it meant to be the children of God. And then other days when they wondered why God had left them all alone. In reading their story, we find that they lived through being slaves in Egypt. Then the story tells us that God rescued them from slavery. But it didn't take long until they began to debate Was it actually better for us to live as slaves and know what our future looked like than to be out here trusting God, unsure what the days ahead looks like? Can you imagine being at that place, at a place so desperate that you say, is slavery better than being free? Because at least in slavery, I knew what was coming tomorrow. That's where they were in this back and forth of what it meant to live as the children of God in this debating of what was going on. God promised them a lush and bountiful land, a promised land that they would one day walk into. But they doubted that God was actually able to get them there. So because of their doubt, they spent years wandering in the deserts. If we read through Moses' story and the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament, we find that they lived through what it was like to experience the good and bad and the ugly of following after God because it wasn't always good. Sometimes it was just ugly. Psalm 90, whether Moses wrote it or not, gives us a glimpse of what it looks like to interact with God in days of tumultuous living. 
And I want to propose that we need to see a picture of what that looks like because that's the truth of what it looks like for us to live this journey of faith. That's the truth of what life looks like and feels like sometimes. It isn't always as easy as it's made out to look, is it? So how do we stay faithful when things are good and when things are far less than good? According to Psalm 90, I think it starts with us grabbing hold of this foundational truth that the passage gives us right at the very beginning. In verse 1, it says this. It says, Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. That word home can mean home or it can mean dwelling place. And I believe wholeheartedly that this is the great longing of God. That God didn't create people so that we might become compliant cogs in some kind of system. God didn't create people so that he could finalize the art project and say, look, now everything looks perfect. There's people here. It's all done. This is what I was working on. God didn't create people so that God could have something to rule over So that he could tell us what to do and when to do it all the time. God did not create people so that God could take a rest and just hand it all over to us. I think the scriptures tell us over and over and over again that God created people because God wanted to be in the presence of those whom God loved. God wanted to be in the presence of you and of me. That God created people because God wanted us to experience what it was like to be deeply loved. And not just loved by anybody, but loved by the creator of the universe. So God created people so that we could experience this great love. God created people and then God invited us to come home to God. This is what God hopes, and this is what I believe that God has always hoped, is that God would be our dwelling place. That God would be our safe space. That God would be sanctuary for us. That God wants us to exist in a deep and loving relationship with Him. That God wants to exist in this deep, loving relationship with all people. And I think until we experience this truth, until we live in this reality, until we live into this reality, we will always struggle staying connected to God in the ups and downs of daily living. Until you and I become fully surrendered to God as our dwelling place, God as our home, to existing and living in the presence of God, until we fully surrender to that, we will constantly be looking to find that fulfillment in other places. Sometimes in things that look like us being connected to God. So we create religious systems. Because in those religious systems, we feel like we can somehow earn or maintain our faith or our connection with God. Other times we kill ourselves trying to to maintain these religious practices that have been created. Because we believe if I just run hard enough, if I just work hard enough, if I just do all of these things, all of these sacrifices, all this reading, all this going to church, all this serving. Then surely I can catch up and experience more of God than I feel like I'm experiencing right now. And yet no matter how hard we work and no matter how hard we chase, we never ever catch it. We find ourselves always longing and wanting more. 
And sometimes if we're not willing to sit and be still in this dwelling place, in this home, in this space, in the presence of God, we begin to fill it with other things that exist outside our faith. We begin to fill this need with looking for a perfect family or a perfect spouse or perfect kids, looking for a perfect job, striving after hobbies that will meet this need to somehow find fulfillment and hope. Sometimes it comes in sinful pursuits that we may chase after. Sex or money, power, name it. There's a whole list of things that we chase after, looking for this fulfillment that we haven't been able to find. Because things aren't as good as we thought they might be. We were created to search for home. We were created to search for this dwelling place, for this space, for this, this place that is home. And when we struggle to find that with God for whatever reason, we spend all of our time looking for it somewhere else. All of our time searching, all of our time looking, instead of sitting and resting and surrendering to the presence of God, to home, to this dwelling place. Psalm 90, out of this foundational truth, out of talking about God being his home, then begins to describe the realities of life, the pains of daily living. Multitude of things are listed talking about the reality that life is temporary. That sin is overwhelming, that death is always encroaching, that the wrath of God is deserved and difficult, that there's so much pain and trouble in life. And again, as I told you initially, as, as I read the passage and perhaps the first time that you heard it, there's this thought of, wow, this is depressing but after a couple of weeks of coming back to it over and over and over again, of reading it time and time again, I'm actually beginning to find some comfort in the words of Psalm 90. Some comfort in the reality that I can stop pretending that everything is good. Because it isn't always good. And the scriptures actually echo what I experience in my daily living. God is aware of my pain. It's right here in the scriptures. God knows about my disappointments in life. It tells me so right here in the scriptures. God knows that life is hard. It says so right here in the scriptures. I don't have to pretend anymore out of some fear that if my life looks less than good that somehow I've disappointed God or somehow I disappoint myself or somehow I disappoint others. Friends, it's not always easy for me to be honest about these realities, but Psalm 90 says it's okay to be honest about the realities that everything doesn't go the way that we hope it might sometimes. I'm disappointed when my expectations get sidetracked. God knows and wants to be my home. I doubt my own abilities 
way too often. God knows and wants to be my home. I sin far more often than I wish I did. God knows and wants to be my home. I regret the decisions that I make and the things that I say all the time. God knows and wants to be my home. Some days I miss my family and wish that we weren't so far from them. God knows and wants to be my home. I wish I hadn't lost my grandparents to death the way that I did. God knows and wants to be my home. I wish Xander had beaten his cancer. God knows and wants to be my home. Wow, I want to do better. God knows and wants to be my home. I need grace and forgiveness. God knows and wants to be my home. If we zoom way out of the story of Moses and the Israelites, we zoom way out and we just look at some of the big picture things that take place. We see God miraculously save them from slavery in Egypt. And then eventually we see God miraculously lead them into a promised land. But in the middle, we see these years that they're stuck in the desert. Splendor on the edges. And lots of suffering in the middle. Wonder that surrounds this suffering and this struggle and this difficulty that they experienced. Beauty filled with brokenness. The people of God have always, since the very beginning of time, had this on-again, off-again relationship with God. This kind of cyclical relationship in which we run to God and we want everything that God has to offer and then we run away from God. God never goes anywhere, but as people, we run to God for salvation and then we run away when we think we can deal with it all on our own. I got this. I can handle this. I know how to take care of this. And the passage shows us what this coming and going looks like. It shows us this cycle that the people of God lived for when from the beginning of time all the way to today and beyond. God is home and everything is great. And then they run away from God. And then they cry out to God for saving. God, rescue us. God, bring us back. God, let us come back. Verse 13, it says, oh, Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. God didn't go anywhere. But to them it appears that God is away, that God is distant, that God is far off somehow. So they cry out. And this this difficult and yet beautifully bold request is that the God who is home to his people will also be savior in their suffering. That God will rescue them. And if we push it forward, that God will rescue us from our sins, 
from our pains, from our struggling and suffering. As we experience the pains of life, Psalm 90 reminds us that we can also experience the joys of home. That we can also experience the joys of God. That we can also experience the joys of the Almighty. And the psalmist asks that God will bless us with as much favor as we see struggle. Verses 14 and 15, satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. In the Expositor's Bible Commentary, it explains that little passage this way. It says, God's people long for the continuity of divine blessings rather than an occasional evidence of his love. Yes! Yes, I want to experience the continuity of God's divine blessing. And I suspect that I'm not the only one. Psalm 90 reminds us that we don't have to hide from the pains of our life. But we also don't have to dwell in them. Not pushing for either one. We have its tendency to run to the extremes. Not needing to deny them. Not needing to wallow in them. We can be honest about our difficulties and our struggles. We can and we should cry out to God for rescue. For love, for grace, for provision. All of that is modeled beautifully in the Psalms. It reminds us that we can rest in the truth that encapsulates this entire journey of faith that we're on. That God is our dwelling place. So friends, on our most beautiful days, we can rest in our dwelling place. The presence of God. On our most difficult days, we can rest in our dwelling place. The presence of of God. When we experience the wonder of blessings, we can rest in our dwelling place, the presence of God. And when we experience the heat of wrath, we can rest in our dwelling place, the presence of God. God is in every step of this journey of faith, calling us home at the same time that we cry out for rescue. Church, the Lord hears our cries for help. And as we cry out, he opens the door to home, ready to welcome us in. But he doesn't stop there. God runs to the rescue so that we can find ourselves back home in the dwelling place that is the presence of God. Pray with me, would you? Precious Lord Jesus, thank you 
for offering us home. Thank you for creating us with this longing, this stirring inside of us to pursue after home, after a dwelling place that can only be found in you, that can only be found in sitting in the presence of the Creator, the Savior. God, may we find ourselves at home in this space, in this place, in your presence. When things are good and when they're difficult, when things are beautiful and when they're hard, when they're wonderful and when they're painful. God, bring us home. And in the in-between, give us courage to cry out to you. To cry out and beg for mercy, for grace, for love, for hope and restoration. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.